Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's go. Let's go. Hello and welcome to The Great Indoors. The podcast which reveals everything you ever needed to know about interiors and explains how to make it all really work for you in your home. I'm Sophie Robinson. And I'm Kate Watson-Smythe. And thanks, as always, to our sponsor, Geberit. They know just how important it is to create a sanctuary at home, a room to get away from the hustle and bustle of our busy lives. And now that most of us are at home all the time, it turns out it's more important than ever that we make time for ourselves to relax and unwind. And the bathroom is the perfect place to do that especially as it might be the only room in the house with a lock on the door. That is a very good point. So whether you have 10 minutes or the luxury of a full hour, the bathroom can be your very own tranquil retreat. And our sponsor, Geberit, is an expert at designing bathrooms that do just that. My top tips include making sure you have dimmable lighting to set the scene for that long soak in the tub and think about introducing plants and natural textures for the ultimate feel-good vibe. Paying attention to details like that can be a real game-changer for the senses and Geberit has lots of options to enhance the sensory experience in your bathroom. Now, my particular favourite is Geberit's Monolith Plus Cistern, which has integrated sensory lighting. Uh, I know, but check this out. It helpfully guides you to the loo at night without the need to turn the big light on because, you know, I don't know about you, Kate, but I like to take my midnight trips under a more subtle glow. That is a really good idea, but now you just need to find a way of stopping my teenagers slamming and locking the bathroom door really loudly at 3am. I mean, who do they think is going to interrupt them at that time of night? (laughs) Well, I can't help you with that, but you can find more sensory inspiration at geberit.co.uk. And there will be some more brilliant bathroom chat in this episode because I have been scheming and planning my own bathroom and I've got tons of tips, ideas and inspiration to share with you. Then, very excitingly, we have an interview with the lovely architect Laura Jane Clark from the super whizzy virtual reality BBC TV show Your Home Made Perfect. I love that show. And we're also going to be talking post-pandemic interior design. That's something I just never thought I was going to have to say. Anyway, it's a, <laughs> anyway, it's a really interesting area. It's been getting lots of attention recently, um, even though we're not exactly post-pandemic yet. We thought we'd start chatting around that subject. 
So tell me, Sophie, what are you going to do to your bathroom? It's been a while and I've seen your bathroom. It is, what shall we say? It's quite beige. <laughs> it's very beige. <laughs> oh my God, I absolutely hate it. It's it's one of the last rooms that's yet to be debeiged in the house. Um, we moved here four years ago. It was beige, beige and more beige. Beige carpets, magnolia walls, beige short curtains, Artex. Ah, oh, the design crimes were aplenty. It's so you. Beige <laughs> tiles on the walls. Oh, my God. It's it just... should probably be a museum piece. I, no. I wonder how long before that comes back, that look. Never. I, in 10 never years' in... time, people will be going, have you seen my new bathroom? It's all beige. <laughs> Well, it's going to get quite a transformation in my hands, as you oh, can you well imagine. What are I'm, you doing then? I'm so excited. I'm slightly at the girl in the candy shop stage at the moment. I've just sort of like done the layout. So that's what you always start with, the layout of where everything's going to go. And I'm not massively changing the layout because it's not the biggest room. The bath needs to go where it needs to go. The loo yeah. needs to go where it needs to go. So layout's not massively changing, but I'm changing, like, for example, it's a fitted bath and I'm going to have a freestanding bath. Because actually, again, just thinking, it, bathroom's not just in isolation. So on our landing, when you look down our landing, the room at the end, which always has the door open because people don't talk, close the doors in my house, is the bathroom. So I thought I want a real statement bath because you actually yeah. see it. It's like a focal point upstairs. So freestanding bath and then I think a really wowy tile and maybe some, I want to hang artwork. I'm going to have what wall colour? sconces. I'm do, kind of channeling, I'm either going to go, well, pink is at the core. I think pink's a lovely colour for bathrooms. It's really soft. It's a beautiful, warm colour. And I've got it past the husband, which is like incredible. And it's then I'll also eat... really flattering on the skin, whatever mm. colour your skin is. A soft pink helps everybody. So good. Yeah. Coco Chanel had a pink bathroom. Who did? Coco Chanel. Well, yeah, I mean, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so that's definitely in. And then I'm playing around. You know me, there's probably going to be some blue, green, some touches of yellow in there. You know, I'm, I'm bringing them all out. But I'm thinking. Oh, I, I'm thinking maybe some wood panelling. Then I'm thinking tiles is definitely going to well, have to be Well, hang on a minute. Where the... wood panelling are you going to do? I quite like, you know, that sort of weatherboard, you know, where you do it horizontally. I really like that in a bathroom. And I've got quite a lot of tongue and groove in my house. It's a bit of a... Um, it's a bit of a, a red, red thread, if you like, Kate. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So we might have a little bit of chi and G. Because also I quite like, I personally don't like too many tiles in a bathroom. It starts to sound echoey. It's a bit cold and chilly, too many cold surfaces. So that's why I like to bring in other materials like wood and wallpaper that you'd ordinarily expect in other rooms in the house into the bathroom. And like I said, I'm going to hang a really big painting above the bath as a focal point. Again, I think it's really nice if a bathroom doesn't feel like it shouldn't just feel like a bathroom brochure. I always say you want it to feel like a room in which you bathe. Yeah, so that that's a good way a of looking at it. So a proper room in the house. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so design it like your living room, but then just stick a bath in it instead of a sofa. Well, exactly, instead of a sofa. Um, <laughs> but that does presuppose you've got a window. I'm guessing you've got a window in there. Got a window so and actually... You've got it's ventilation got... for a picture on the wall mm. because I think people worry, don't they, about hanging... I mean, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't hang your Picasso in the bathroom, for example. Because of the moisture. But you need to be a bit careful, don't you, of the steam. Yeah. Yeah, I might look into it. I mean, I was going to... Um, I was going to hang quite a special piece in there, but I was thinking like an acrylic on canvas 
I mean, I'm not painting this, by the way. I'm going to get something. <laughs> but acrylic's essentially plastic paint, isn't it? So I'm hoping that that, that might be, be all fine. right. I think it's about how you frame it, isn't it? And also... My builder said to me, well, you're married to one, so you'll know more than me, but that if you've got a window that you can have open all the time and it's a decent-sized room, then you don't have to worry about having an extraction fan. But it's possible Ooh, that builders regs say that. you have to have a fan, do you? Yeah, but also, what do you do in the winter? I don't want my window open all the time and it's snowing outside and I'm trying to have a soak in the tub. That's a ridiculous piece of advice. <laughs> when was the last time it snowed? I do have my bathroom <laughs> window open all the time. Yeah, but... Yeah, you're bit, you are a bit special like that, aren't you, with your windows open all year round? I'll just round go with your, special. And Shall we stop And your duvet all year round. <laughs> Do you know, it was very hot uh, yesterday and I may swap out the tentog duvet. But last time, <laughs> last time I swapped out a, ten, a tentog duvet, actually I think it was a 13-tog for the summer one, it got really cold. So I uh, was responsible yes. for a sort of, you know, nationwide cold snap. So I'm very you nervous. You, you keep that 13-tog duvet on, Kate, what's the smile? Listen, it's We're currently nice acting weather, very well as my roof all. in my duvet den. Back to the bathroom and we've asked Geberit, our sponsor, for some involvement in this planning bathrooms because, well, bathrooms is their business and they have some good tech and some good ideas because the thing about planning a bathroom, I don't know if this is why you, it's taken you so long to do it, but particularly if you have children, what you want from a bathroom changes, doesn't it, over time? Yeah. You know, you start off with a baby that needs a bath, then you get a toddler, you might want to stick one or two toddlers in the bath. And then before you know it, you're where we are, which is two teenagers, and nobody has a bath from one end of the year to the next. So we've got to start yeah. future-proofing bathrooms. Yeah, well, I think they're a really big investment. They're really costly to do, really because of the amount of trades you need to bring in, all the plumbers, electricians, tilers. You know, you might be reconfiguring stuff. You might have a bit, you know, everyone gets involved in the bathroom. Yeah. And they are massive investments, which is possibly why there's so many beige ones. That could be the problem. People well, I think out. it's the same thing. It's, yeah, people are frightened of going too big and bold with the colour in case they get bored with it. I mean, Geberit actually say on their website, which I think is a is a big ask, but your bathroom should meet your changing requirements for 25 years. But I mean, I do think you need to think about the next five years, particularly, if, as I say, if you've got kids, if you're transitioning from, you know, baby to toddler or small kid to teenager and, you know, teenagers either don't go anywhere near the bathroom, I got one of those, or they spend <laughs> quite a lot of time in the bathroom, I got one of those as well. Um, so, you know, it's got to be quite multi-purpose, this room, hasn't it? And also, as we said at the top, you've got to go from that practical, I want to get in, get out, get washed, get to work, and that, oh, I've got a bit of time, I want to dim the lights and have a bit of a spa thing going on. Well, you've got to really think about how you use the bathroom. Um, I mean, we've got a separate, we've got two spaces in this house, which I actually quite like. So there's a bath and a basin in, say, the main family bathroom. And then next door, there's a loo, cloakroom basin and shower. Yeah. And we've decided to um, take out the tray and we're going to do it like a wet room. And Tom is going to get hold of, oh, what did he tell? Because he's, I've got to order it. It's a tray that you tile into. So it creates like a wet room floor, if you like. 
So it's like I've a recessed... seen those. Yes, it's like a recessed and uh, yeah, like a, and then you tile a floor on top. flush shower. But that's mm. also really good. I remember researching this ages ago. If you're future proofing your house, perhaps not at the kid end of things, but at the older age of things, because you know that you don't want a threshold which might become a trip hazard. So actually having yeah. it all flush, as long as you've got really good non-slip tiles, that can be a good idea as well. So. My mother's bathroom, um, she had a shower over her bath for ages and then she didn't want to use the bath because she no, didn't want to have that high climbing yeah. in and out. Exactly. So she's put a walk-in shower in her bathroom and she didn't quite have the courage to take the bath out uh, because why oh, would she listen it... to my advice? Well, because she was worried about resale value. Yeah, but, you yeah, know, yeah. the net result is she's got this really tiny, like, triangle corner shower which is not luxurious and a huge bath and I think the only person that's used my that bath is one of my sons when we went to stay about 10 years ago I think that's so, so interesting because we're doing um Tom as you know he's a builder and he's doing a development in Brighton at the moment and they're quite modest sized bathrooms and these are probably going to go to sort of young professionals it's very city center no outside space no garden two bedroom maisonette type thing and I said oh I think you should just do a really lovely big luxurious walk-in shower the sort of person who's going to live here that's what they'll want and he said oh, I'm just going to check out with a few estate agents before we do that but I agree yes that would look and feel so much more luxurious than a shower over a bath which would be because you can't yeah. have both there's just not room to have a bath and a shower all the estate agents said no you have to have a bath you see, I, thought I it was would, really interesting. Uh, but they said, I no, thought they have moved on. People don't like no. Well, not in Brighton. <laughs> oh well. But you can also, if you're thinking about doing that, you know, and you feel very strongly that you need a bath uh, for selling. You know, it's still. I'm not a plumber, but there's still the plumbing there. The water can still come out of the same place. So if you've got a really big luxurious shower because that suits the way you live, then it's not that difficult to put a bath in there afterwards or to replace it, is it? Or to swap the two over? Well, actually, we we put the bath in, actually, and we had that conversation. I thought, look, at the end of the day, whoever buys this is annoyed with the bath. They can just pull it out. I've consulted someone on a house once where they were doing exactly that and they had, I think... They either had two small ones and one on the way or one already there and one on the way. Um, and they wanted a really big wet room with a big shower. So we decided they were going to put two shower heads in it um, so they could put both kids in the shower at the same time. And then also, you know, that one on a kind of hose thing, which is for cleaning and hair washing. Oh, yes, but you've also, always got to have one of those. You've got to have one I of those. Think. But also yeah. that meant that when the baby was born, they could put a little plastic baby bath in that shower space and fill it with water and still, you know, give the baby a bath when it was small before it had a shower. So, I mean, I think there are ways around it. Ultimately, it's about how you live. And I just think the key point is just don't think about what you want today. Think about what, what you might need in a few years' time so you don't have to redo it. So that's the planning. How do you use the space and make sure you've planned accordingly? I mean, we're definitely, by the way, putting um, underfloor heating mat under our floor tiles that's a great future-proofing thing yeah. because I think there's nothing worse than... Again, if, you, if you've got quite a small bathroom as well, radiators just eat up loads of space. Well, the thing is, I mean, we've come unstuck with this. So the first time in the boys' kind of wet room, we didn't put underfloor heating because we thought we couldn't quite afford it and it was going to be a big deal to rip it up and it was going to take longer and yada, yada, yada. And actually, what 
the builder didn't explain to me at the time was that if you have underfloor heating in a wet room type scenario, then you dry the water up more, much more yeah. quickly. Whereas ours, because it's effectively a cold room, the water sits there and the lime scale that has sort of built up on the tiles because of the water sitting there is horrible. So lesson number one, always do that. And then in our ensuite, we just had a towel rail because, again, we thought that would be sufficient. But as soon as you hang a towel on a towel rail, your towel gets scaldingly hot and the room's really cold because the towel just eats all the heat. Mm. So, you know, that's another reason why we should have had underfloor heating. But one thing my builder did come up with, unfortunately, about three years after he'd done our bathroom, so it was pointless, was he says... Put, you know, you get underfloor heating, it comes in like sort of panels, doesn't it? Well, you can get it either he in a said, mesh mat or you can get it in kind of like a cable. There's different types. He says put a sum of it, you know, a certain amount of it buried in the wall and mm. then you can have freestanding hooks on top of it and then you can hang your towels on the hooks and you're kind of heating the wall so the towels will still dry but it looks nicer than one of those radiators. It's I a lovely a idea. You've just got to make sure you know where you're putting your hooks. Yeah, of course. But, uh, you know, he's going to do that bit too. The other thing I think we're thinking about if you are doing a bathroom from scratch like we are is at this point the lighting. Oh, got to be a on a dimmer. Difference. Yeah. Okay, so get it on a dimmer. Then the most flattering type of lighting is a pair of wall lights either side of your vanity mirror. Yeah. Super nice for doing makeup and stuff. Nothing shining down on your head, giving your bags under the eyes. And then I'd probably... Do the same on the bath wall lights rather than too many open. Because you think if you're lying in the bath, do you really want a down lighter boring into your eyeballs? <laughs> Not really. So I'm going to keep all my lights on the walls. I need to get mood boarding, Kate. I need to get scrapbooking. Oh my that's my god! Next. It's not that's a verb. It's not a verb. <laughs> you are going to get your scrapbook out and spend some time filling it in. And on that note, we'd love to know your bathroom future-proofing hacks. She won't stop. I'm just going to carry on this podcast regardless. Oh, you're so easily riled. I just adore it. I am a grammar Nazi and you (laughs) will not stop me on that front. Now, come and find us on Instagram and tell us your bathroom future-proofing hacks. Do you know that's quite difficult to say? Anyhow, I'm mad about the house and she's Sophie Robinson Interiors. And of course, the Great Indoors Podcast Facebook group is hot and cold running font of wisdom. Who oh, writes this script? <laughs> I saw a post yesterday from Katrina Ford, who is, to quote, obsessed with glossy mahogany loose seats. Niche. She said, Surely this is a universal fascination. Anyway, she says she is not interested in cheap fix, looking for something that will last forever after wasting money on cheaper ones in the past, which is kind of what we've been talking about, right? Anyway, it seems Katrina is lusting after a particular loo. She's even supplied pictures from the interior designer Rita Connig. So if you're listening, Rita... Perhaps you could pop on over to our Facebook group and let us know where you source them. Although, actually, the font of knowledge that is the Great Indoors podcast Facebook group is already providing some brilliant suggestions. And actually, I have one of my own because I have a glossy mahogany Lucy of my own. And there's a little story behind it. It's actually a Thomas Crapper toilet seat. It was a client of Tom's... um, 
who ordered this toilet seat uh, to go in his bathroom. And one of Tom's team sadly got a probably about three millimetre little scratch in, into it. Really, really tiny. But, and wait for it, when you've paid £500 for a toilet seat, you don't want a little scratch in it. You want it to be perfect. So Tom had to buy them a new one, which means I got theirs. So there you go. <laughs> I think it's time to move on. Now, I'm really excited about this interview because we both loved Your Home Made Perfect. And for anyone who doesn't know, the second series has just been on BBC Two. And basically the pitch is virtual reality and visual effects enable people to see what their future home could look like before building it in reality. And ooh, don't we love a bit of VR, as it turns out. Laura Jane Clark is one of the architects on the show. She has her own practice, Lamp Architects, which specialises in residential conversions, extensions, and also new builds. But she has a real genius, I think, for making buildings that that really work for the people that live there. You know, it's not all about sort of highfalutin glass skyscrapers. She's really down with, I know you're going to need lots of storage and you haven't thought about it. And, you know, you need a plug in that corner of that room sort of thing. So I really like that practical, but also very beautiful element she brings to it. Hi, Laura. I'm so excited you've been able to come on the show with us. I'm having a bit of a fangirl moment. (laughs) It's a groundbreaking show, isn't it, with all the VR? It has been an absolute whirlwind. I have loved doing the show so much. I I did quite a bit a few years ago. And after that, I was like, right, I'm never doing TV again. It's not my world. I think I'm far too (laughs) thin-skinned. I'm far too kind of (laughs) self-conscious. And then the producers of the show phoned me up and I kind of ignored their call for about three months. (laughs) And then I was like, okay, right, I better just listen to what he wants to say. And it just sounded such a great idea the idea that it's all about the design and um, I'd seen Robert before on 100k house and I was like oh yeah that guy that wore a kimono he looked a little bit funny <laughs> but I actually really <laughs> loved his scheme for the post office and um, so I was yeah you had me at kimono <laughs> <laughs> so the key to this is that you go in with virtual reality so you put on headsets the clients put on headsets and you're transported into their old house and then there's this amazing sort of process where the walls come down and float out and the light tracks around the house and you get the alternatives and see the design. Where where do the headsets go? I mean, we see you put on the headsets and the next thing we know, you're in this space. How does that trickery work? Yeah, I know. It's just crazy. It's all down to our fabulous acting. Well, because <laughs> oh, is it? Is it all stunted uh, up? Yeah, absolutely. <gasps> so we do the, we film the whole thing in the actual VR glasses. And that's the first time that the clients see it. That's the first time, you know, one of the first times that I see it properly in VR. So we're in the actual model, in the goggles, and that's filmed for all the audio. Um, so most of the audio you can hear when you can't see our mouths is the original audio the original reactions. And then we go to a green screen and then we film it all again with no goggles on. So we do it in front of the green screen, we take our goggles off and then we basically have to say the kind of the sound bites again and act really well. <laughs> and it, and uh, that, that first series, oh my goodness, it was a really, really hot summer and we were in this baking hot green screen studio 
because we do it full length green screen once and then do it uh, head and shoulders a second time. I'm so, so impressed. So the, the closest up of us talking is generally 10 o'clock at night. We're all absolutely exhausted. I've like filled my space with jelly babies and like M&Ms <laughs> and things. And then we go and have a couple of gins. <laughs> or four. Um, well, fair play though to also the clients who are coming mm. along because they want the house redesigned. They're not necessarily thinking they're going up for a BAFTA award for their acting no, skills. So, you exactly. know, that's all really impressive. But I'm, I might have to watch some reruns now, see if I can spot the joins. Um, yes. that, that's <laughs> so <the> exhaustion. <laughs> yes, exactly. The nice thing about it is that you're, you can show somebody because I think we're so used to saying right I just need more space at the back of the house I need more space at the side of the house and it's about space and it's never really about flow or light or the kind of the way things work together and spaces and how they lead on to each other and views and you know it's, it's about so much more than just putting a box extension on the house and one of the things that really drew me to the, the kind of concept of the idea is that you can talk through all of these things. So we kind of like say, we're standing there in the existing house. It's been perfectly modelled as if you're actually in the house. Yeah. And then we can say, right, so you wanted a six metre extension. This is the effect it would have. And it's just amazing when you see people going, oh my God, it's so dark. It's so big. It looks horrendous. And they say, well, actually, all you need to maybe do is either not extend or just extend a meter or just do this or what about opening this up bit of light so it, it it's just kind of changing people's perceptions that big is better on your website you talk about doing residential design is that your passion are you just intensely practical i am i'm practical in a, in a way i just like it when everything looks absolutely fantastic and because i'm a very messy person the only way i can achieve that is to have really practical storage you know things going where they need to go because i'm just awful at tidying up and it's the idea that you can create this incredible space to live in but it has to be practical and i and i think there's so much waste of space in a lot of houses it's really kind of looking at the space and how you use it and not being compromised by it and going right well you can alter your space to work for you rather than the other way around i mean to me a utility room is absolutely key to having a tidy house because if you have a utility space even a utility cupboard managing to get that away and not you know out on areas on radiators for me that is just absolutely essential and you could have a plumbed in dehumidifier which I swear by <laughs> I used to I converted an old underground toilet and that is when I became addicted to dehumidifiers <laughs> I was gonna come on to that yes so for those who don't know, you used to live in an underground loo. Yes. Talk us through that. <laughs> <laughs> I used to live in South East London and I found these really old, just in the kind of the middle of Crystal Palace, they painted brown, they were covered in graffiti. But I remember seeing the broken skylights on the pavement thinking, blimey, they must be really quite big. I tried to get hold of the council to see if I could go and see them. And that took about six months. Um, oh my goodness. I mean, it's just such a long convoluted story, but in the end, I managed to buy these toilets from the council. I just totally, totally fell in love with them. The first time I went down, because the, the ceiling was all cracked and broken, the whole space was just filled with chicken bones and litter and rubbish. It was absolutely oh. disgusting. But, but the ceiling height, I mean, the ceilings were about three metres high and you had these like beautiful porcelain urinals on one wall. And I just fell in love with them. I was like, these have to be mine. And then I kind of suddenly realised, 
I was like, oh, I could have a little courtyard. That could be a fire escape. And then I could actually live here. You know, I could split this up so I could make this a safe place to live. Wow. Everyone just thought I was completely insane. <laughs> you don't say. <laughs> I know. You know, because I was like relatively young, like totally no experience, not really a developer, no money. Uh, but yeah, just just really didn't take no for an answer and just, just carried on, really. Am I right in thinking that you're also a welder? I mean, I've got a whole flash dance scenario playing out now. <laughs> but it's so easy. It's just like using a glue gun. <laughs> It's amazing how quickly you can progress from putting up a shelf to welding, you know, a full, at the moment we're building a kind of a garage and a shed um, with a Narnia cupboard out of scraps that we've had from the what building of this What is a Narnia house. cupboard? Rewind, oh, my goodness. I probably need a Narnia cupboard. What is it? It's going to be incredible. So we've got this, like, this kind of crazy shed type thing. It's going to be beautiful, really kind of sleek and contemporary. And then we've had this uh, wardrobe from, I don't know, British Heart Foundation years and years and years ago. And it's just massive. And we're like, oh, this bloody wardrobe. <laughs> and I was like, why don't we put it in the shed and then we can take the back off it and then you open this wardrobe. It'll just be like randomly in the middle of this contemporary shed. And then it'll go down and there's a little kind of, the back of the shed, you basically go down into this like, like tree grove. So we're going to put little steps down and solar lights and stuff. So it'll be like a proper oh my, cupboard. That's <laughs> just incredible. You see, that's why you need an architect because... To build a shed, you know, definitely. <laughs> uh, well, architects have the ideas, don't they? And I think architects as a profession come in for quite a lot of flack and not quite as much as journalists, it has to be said. <laughs> but I think people are are scared of coming to architects. They think it's going to be thousands of pounds. And there is this sort of reputation, which I will allow you to tell me is unfairly deserved, of architects coming in with their ideas and saying, you need this and you need this and, and you can't change it. I completely agree with that. <laughs> and I always thought architects were, you know, like kind of men in roll-top sweaters yeah, yeah. and horn-rimmed glasses and just really serious and a little bit cross all of the time. And, and they kind of are. <laughs> yeah. There's this kind of perception that if you're an architect and you're doing residential properties that you've kind of failed. If, you know, if you're not building skyscrapers and you're not building, yeah, yeah. you know, the, 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 oh, oh, you just do house extensions. And it's like, well, I like that side of it because for me, that is the real challenge. To make a small space work is so tricky and so hard. And to make a, a house work on a budget, on, you know, there's so many parameters in it. I actually find it not necessarily more difficult. It's just a different set of skills. Have you got sort of tips, for want of a better word, that, that a listener who might be wanting to hire an architect should think about? I mean, I would guess the first one is you've got to chat to them on the phone and see if you can gel on the phone, I guess. What else should you be looking for? Obviously, people's past work um, and not necessarily going super high end, but actually even the kind of the slightly smaller practices, I think it's the passion really. And yeah. coming with an idea, you know, a real brief, if there's something that yeah. you really want and get it clear in your head, because often I suppose it's like anything, you kind of meet, you chat and everything goes out of your head and you're like oh I didn't say this I didn't yeah, say that yeah yeah have something written down yeah that's really good advice do you think interior design or house design 
is going to change post this pandemic, you know, over the next few years? I, I don't know whether it's going to change or it, it'll catalyse the already kind of move for decent light and decent space, not even space as in kind of quantity of space, yeah. but the quality of space and how our houses work for us rather than working against them. And, you know, views of the garden, If you know, if you have a garden or how light comes in if you're in a in a flat I think it'll really just push everyone to say yeah I am in control of this house I'm going to use an architect or a builder or a designer or an interior designer that will work with me and help me because this is what I want and this is what I deserve we're just so conditioned into having badly designed and built houses and extensions so it really it really does actually break my heart and that's why I like doing these you know I don't want to be building massive big skyscrapers I like resolving people's house because for me it's most important it's the most important part of our lives I'm getting all emotional <laughs> oh it's brilliant it's brilliant I love it. It's, it it's really kind of looking at the space and how you use it and not being compromised by it you can alter your space to work for you rather than the other way around so who knew you could make such a des res out of an old public toilet? Oh, she's clever, that Laura Clark. So do check out Your Homemade Perfect on iPlayer and we will put tons of pictures, including we're going to dig out a picture of that uh, converted toilet as well, 100%. So uh, check out our blogs, madaboutthehouse.com and sophierobinson.co.uk. Now, on to our last topic for the day, post-pandemic interior design. It makes it sound very sort of highfalutin, doesn't it? But there are a few articles that are beginning to surface on this subject. I mean, obviously, we are still in it. I must apologise for the helicopter circling overhead. I don't know if you can hear it. That's what it is. <laughs> Just checking you're still indoors, Kate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so post-pandemic design, I'm starting to see things about this. For example, and don't interrupt me yet, Sophie, because I know this is going to upset you. People are talking about the risk resurgence of white, particularly in kitchens, because it's viewed as a more hygienic colour. And also discussions around whether we will not continue the sort of current trend towards maximalism, again, because it's cluttered and it's harder to clean. So I thought it was quite interesting that. And in looking around, I can feel through the duvet airways that Sophie is desperate for me to stop talking about <laughs> white not, kitchens. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like a trigger word. I, I'm, I want to read you this. Oh, An no. 18... I'm not allowed to say anything. No, you can't. Listen oh, to this. Oh, a God, manual so from 1887 urged women to break with the Victorian style of home furnishings and choose items that wouldn't collect dust because it was believed to carry disease-causing microorganisms. And to encourage the goddess of health, we can well afford to sacrifice on her altar the superfluous draperies, carpets and ornaments of our living and sleeping rooms, it said. What about that? Now you can talk. <laughs> That's a bit different than saying, oh, we're in a pandemic, it's all our design, our houses look like hospitals. I mean, how utterly depressing is that? Well, I read dancer. something on that as well. Oh, God, I read we go. something. Go on then. Well, yeah. no, well, that was just talking about, and this is also interesting, before we had medicine, we only had quarantine and public health. And obviously now we've got much more medicine, although with this current pandemic, we don't yet, as yet, 
have medicine. So we have to go back to public health. And sanatoriums and hospitals were built, you know, with big white spaces. There was supposed to be lots of light and air, big windows to encourage you to see the outside, feel better. So they were back then, you know, those sort of Swiss sanatorium building buildings that were good for public health. So are we going to go back to that? Now you can talk. Yeah, well, I think, well, so what's not really, why I'm not jumping on this ship wholeheartedly is because I think, you know, we're spending a lot more time at home. Yes. How we behave in our home and the stuff we're doing in our home is changing. Yes. So therefore, the way we design our homes, and I'm sure this will be something we discuss, is going to change. But I think it's more on the behaviour of our homes, the stuff we're doing in it that we weren't doing in it before, like working, schooling, spending, you know, I think... People are thinking about their outside spaces a little bit more. But in terms of, um, I just find it a bit negative to think that we're going to design our homes to feel like sanitariums just because we're all really super nervous No, I absolutely agree with you. I just thought it was quite interesting harking back to that sort of notion that, you know, here we are again with, as we say at the time of recording, no effective medicine against this virus. I mean, the other thing, I'll lighten you up a bit. No, I don't, think, I don't think you're wrong because I, I found something. Realsimple.com um, is a American, I think, uh, website magazine and they were on the same thing as well. They were saying, oh, front porches and mudrooms and that sort of antechamber where people can take off oh, that's boots interesting. and yeah. coats when they arrive and there can be a bottle of hand gel there waiting for you as well. That's the sort of thing. They talked about shower loos, you know, um, and bee days becoming really fashionable because Ooh, well, maybe we've run, that's a special maybe we've run out of blue together, roll. Then. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah. But they're also talking about um, pantries for kitchen and food storage because we might want to go to the shops less or we are going mm-hmm. out less. So food storage and menu planning is also coming to the forefront. Yeah, and, the, and you know, I don't know about you, but my whole social media feed, to a point I can't look at it anymore, has been completely <laughs> hijacked by bakers. Everybody's Baking. There's a lot of baking. Oh, I can't bear it. Oh, I don't bake. I don't cook. I, I mean, God, seriously, who's got the... T- I've had, you know, English, French, maths and a science project to make a desert habitat to deal with today. I've got no time to bake. Like, <laughs> get away with the baking. I'm anyway, baking on baking's principle. a big thing. Going to design our but kitchens the husband's in a way. making for catcher. So we can bake. <laughs> oh, oh, gosh, the mad husband. He's just He's- too good. He tried a sourdough, but it all went horribly wrong and it smelled mm. disgusting and it looked like wallpaper paste. Yeah. So he threw it out, but now he's making focaccia. He's much oh. happier. And oh, we're all yes. getting much, much fatter. <laughs> Yay for focaccia! <laughs> I tell you what I do think yeah. might be a good thing to come out of it, because obviously more working from home. Are we finally going to get office chairs that look like they could sit in your house and not just look like pieces of, you know, you've done a really good job with yours because you've re-upholstered it. I sit in a kind of velvet-covered dining room chair, Mm, if you like, which I'm sure it's not good. I spend quite a lot of time sitting on the sofa, if I'm honest. So, you know, that may be worse. But I, so I think there will be good things that come out of it. I think we're going to need more storage because we're going to need to be storing work stuff and home stuff and flipping between the two. So what about, you know, what about like more space? I mean, I'm already hankering for a garden office. It's ridiculous. I mean, I'm one of the lucky people because I work from home anyway. I've always had a home office, but i got to get out of the house. It's like, oh my gosh. And, you know, gorgeous Arthur, even if it's like, you know, no, this is mummy's turn to work. 
he creeps in. Hello, mummy, can I have a cuddle? It's very cute, but it's kind of like annoying. Um, so I'm wondering whether things like garden office spaces. Oh, I, talking about gardens. Did you know um, I heard this on the Hilo podcast the other day? Apparently hot tub sales have gone up 400% in the last couple of months. I don't know what to say to that. I don't know. Is that the future of post-pandemic well, that's design? Not very, hot it's tubs. not very hygienic, <laughs> is it? <laughs> yeah, so I think, you know, it, uh, it's just interesting how I think we perhaps are, are questioning what we want from our homes. There was an interesting uh, interview with Kirsty Allsop, obviously, who is TV presenter and property expert. And, you know, obviously she had lots to say on the topic. But one thing that I thought was quite interesting is she was saying about when people are house hunting, we're going to start looking for different types of homes. Uh, she thinks more people are going to be looking for a house with outside space. Suddenly that's become more important to have a garden. Uh, looking for homes that have that extra room that you can have as a home office and actually that will become something that becomes really desirable or even a necessity for lots of people. Really fascinating. I was having a uh, a Zoom call. That's Ooh. another thing, isn't it? We need. We all need Zoom pods. You all we need, need a have... Zoom background. We all need a Zoom frankly, background in our Yours home. is a duvet with no cover on and mine's my bed head, so we do need to work <laughs> on that a bit. <laughs> um, so I was chatting to my accountant. We're having a catch-up with this and that, and she said that she's got a client who's a hairdresser. And he is really busily retraining all his staff right now to be excellent cutters because he thinks people are not going to be interested in colouring their hair so much post-pandemic or, you know, after. Why? Go, because no one's really going to want to sit in a hair salon with a hairdresser for, for three two hours. to four hours. My hair, when I have the whole thing done, can take up to four hours. And he doesn't think people are really going to want to do that anymore. And so we might see a fashion for grey hair. Yes, in. leading Check the way. Out. Check me oh, out. That was so interesting. I mean, That's I've fascinating, been, isn't it? I've been dyeing my hair since I was 15. I've got no idea what I, I mean, <laughs> no idea what I am naturally, but I know there's a lot of grey under there. And I'm actually secretly quite excited at the thought of going, okay, if this is going to be embraced, if this is no longer a thing of like, oh, you know, something to, to try and cover up or get rid of or resist... I mean, you're a trailblazer, Kate. You've got fabulous, fabulous Thank you. silver hair. Yeah, no, it's, yours is really cool. Mine's it's a interesting, bit more though, isn't it? Pepper. Because what you realise when you kind of start thinking about this is that there is no aspect of life that hasn't been touched. And I have got one more thing as we're talking about bathrooms that I want to just read to you, which I found because I thought it was interesting. So this dates from the 1880s. Gosh, you've had time on your hands. Where the heck have you been reading? Well, you know, I just found this, but it seemed to fit with our bathroom topic and, and what we were saying at the top of the show. Before the 1880s, bathrooms were decorated similarly to other rooms in affluent homes, complete with carpet, curtains and wooden cabinets. Removing those items became popular in the late 1800s and early 1900s. And at the dawn of the 20th century, companies selling flooring and wall coverings capitalised on the assumption that smooth, impervious surfaces were healthier than carpet and textiles. And materials like porcelain, tile and linoleum became coveted for the spaces that were most closely associated with germs like kitchens and bathrooms and laundry rooms. And there, there we go. go, full circle. That's quite fascinating, isn't it? Yeah, that is fascinating. And you're right, that wraps up the show beautifully. There All we go. All points come to one. 
So now for our style surgery and a question that comes up quite a lot. Hi, Kate and Sophie. It's Kim. Really enjoying the show. I always have done, but especially at the moment when it's so nice to concentrate on what's great about staying indoors. We've just moved to an Edwardian house that luckily has quite a few different rooms on the ground floor, two living rooms, an office, bathroom, and then a kitchen dining room. Just really wanted to hear your thoughts on the advantages and disadvantages of open plan living versus having the separate rooms. We'd thought about knocking the two living rooms into one really large one and the kitchen and the dining room into a kitchen diner. And be interested to hear what your take on that is. So open plan living, Kate, I know you've got some particular views. Do you want to share? I do have thoughts. I quite often do. Um, I, I, as long as they're not from the 1870s, that's my only... Oh, let I'm me just... dig around. I'm sure I can find someone, <laughs> uh, you know. <laughs> Open plan living, what do I want to say? Kim doesn't say who she lives with. She just says we. I think... A very common issue when people have small kids is that they want open plan because they want to be able to see what the kids are doing at all times. Um, And I get that. But, you know, I come now from the other end of it where I have teenagers and not only do I not necessarily want to know what they're doing, uh, they certainly don't want to feel that we're all in the same space. So I'm, I'm quite a fan of rooms and walls. Um, So my sort of off-the-top instinctive reaction to what Kim is saying is that I probably would make a kitchen diner because I think that's a really sociable space and that's really nice. Although I do know that, for example, a lot of French people don't want that because they want to keep cooking separate from eating. But I'm, I like that. But I would keep the two sitting rooms separate, absolutely for sure. I mean, she doesn't say how big they are, but I think it's really nice to have maybe one that's a TV room and one that's the chatting room or one that's a cocktail party room and one that's, you know, for watching films. So that would be my reaction without seeing the house. I don't know how you feel about open plan living. You don't really have, you've got separate rooms, haven't you? If you're hearing any shuffling, that's because I've actually, I'm actually in Arthur's bedroom right now and he needed to come in and he's shuffling about trying to find some things. <laughs> <laughs> if you hear any well, bangs and shuffles in the background, that's it. That's more sociable than the police helicopter that I've got. But there you go. There's <laughs> urban living versus country living in Small one go. Shuffling children. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, well, we used to live in an open plan warehouse conversion before this house. And I absolutely love the open plan space. Again, like you say, with small kids, oh God, it just felt, felt essential because you do need to have that eagle eye all the time. And it was just a lovely way to cook and while other people played or watched TV. We really enjoyed it. Um, But obviously a warehouse as well is quite big space. So um, I think that's potentially as well why it worked because within an open plan space, you could still create some distance. Open plan spaces in smaller houses can quickly, I think, start feeling a bit claustrophobic, like we're all in the same room all the time. Um, We haven't got any open plan spaces in the house we're in now, but plans are afoot. Really, actually, as you said, we really miss that kitchen dining um, yeah, I think that's really nice. Thing. That's diner. kind of the yeah. big thing. And when you've got friends over, you can all be together while people well, are Well, this is it. I think when things. you have a small kitchen and a separate dining room, you know, that might be nice if you're having sort of posh dinner parties. Although, you know, those sort of days of the good life with Margot and Jerry entertaining the boss. I think Jamie Oliver pre- just put the nail in the coffin for We've those, slightly moved on yeah. from that, haven't we? But, you know, you do feel if you've got a separate kitchen 
that, you know, the, whoever's cooking is is on their own all the time and they're missing out. I mean, one of the first flats that the mad husband and I rented in London had a really tiny kitchen. And so we had a table in the sitting room. So, you know, we had a we had a living dining room and a separate kitchen. And it was kind of miserable to be the person in the kitchen all the time. So I'm, I definitely like opening up that kind of kitchen dining space. It's much more communal. And I think the way we live now is more relaxed, isn't it? So it's fine yeah. to see someone cook. You know, it's yeah. not it's not some dark art that needs to be kind of covered up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a bit of a dark art if I'm involved. The amount of stuff I've burned <laughs> for the last few weeks. I didn't actually it's mean a literal dark art, but yeah, let's go with that. <laughs> it's really funny because I've got this thing that I, you know, if I'm cooking, I kind of subliminally rely on Tom to remind me that I've put something in the oven. <laughs> and I found with him back out at work and me at home, here I kind of forget he's gone and so things are going in the oven and getting forgotten but now Arthur's twigged and now he's reminding me mammy <laughs> he's taken on that role yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but what about open plan you know I think I live in a Victorian terrace obviously and it's very common in those houses where you had you know those sort of the front, front parlour mm. and then a sort of back sitting room and one was for sort of more formal entertaining and where visitors came and the back one was where you wouldn't take visitors, that was for family only. So the common thing obviously is they get knocked through but, you know, I, I like, I sort of think as many separate rooms as you can have is good and that actually feeds back for me a bit into this conversation about post-pandemic design because that way you could have a separate office or a space where you can work and you can shut the door in a work environment. So I'm saying keep the walls. I think everybody's unique and every home's unique, isn't it? And I think if you've got, it sounds like Kim's got quite a few rooms and she could probably do with a few walls coming down. Like she says, she's got a separate office. And I think if you haven't got a lot of space, think twice before you open it all up because it is nice to have a room to retire to, whether that's to watch yeah. a movie away from the kids or to do some work away from everybody else or just a quiet room to shut the door and scream where no one can hear you. Well, because it's otherwise just... that tends to be the bathroom. And, you know, there's only so many times you can just go into the bathroom and lock the door and scream, which Without brings us back to where we were at the top. You've got issues. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So thanks so much to Kim and everyone for these brilliant style surgery questions. And do keep them coming. Just simply record a voice memo on your phone and email it to thegreatindoorspod at gmail.com. That's it for now, but do check out the blogs for more details, pictures and links. And as ever, do please leave us a review on the podcast app if you can. An enormous thank you to our sponsors, Geberit, and to our producer, Kate Taylor of Feast Collective. And thank you for listening. And we'll see you in the great indoors. 